Before we begin this message, I'm going to ask the Lord to be with us as we consider some words from Scripture. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the Sabbath day. We thank you for the beautiful message and song that we just heard, and I pray that you would speak through me now, that we would each receive the blessing and the message that we all need for this time. And so I just pray that you would speak through me now. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Our scripture reading, as it was read, I'm going to, to read again where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die, believest thou this? You know, I think we all here in some way or another have been touched by death. All of us can identify somebody that we have loved at some point in our life who is resting in the grave until Jesus comes. And we have this promise that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and those who believe in him have the promise of being resurrected as well. And so we have that promise. This sermon isn't really, though, a sermon about the resurrection in that sense. Yes, we believe in the two resurrections. The first resurrection, actually, there's three resurrections if you want to be technical. There's the special resurrection for all those who have died in the faith of the third angel's message. And then shortly after that is what the Bible calls the first resurrection in Revelation chapter 20. And then at the end of the thousand years is a resurrection that none of us want to be part of. The second resurrection. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. None of us ever have to die the second death. You know, it's interesting, the context of this passage is Jesus meeting Martha after Lazarus has died. And Martha believes that Jesus is the Messiah. And Martha and Mary believed that Jesus would come and heal Lazarus before he died. And now that Lazarus is dead, Mary and Martha have accepted the reality that Lazarus is going to sleep in the grave until the resurrection at the last day. In fact, Jesus has just said to her, your brother shall rise again. And she's like, I know that. I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus says, well, let me take it a little bit deeper for you because I just said he's going to rise again. I am the resurrection and the life. And if you believe in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Do you believe this? And notice her response. And her response is where I'm going to develop some thoughts about how many of us respond to the promises of God in Scripture. 
notice what Martha says. She's speaking to the Messiah. She says to him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. Jesus is telling her what he's going to do. I'm going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Do you believe this? I'm the resurrection and the life. If someone is dead, if he believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Do you believe this? And she says, yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Messiah. She's known Jesus throughout his ministry. She's been one of his most ardent followers and supporters. And Jesus is coming right out and saying, I'm going to raise your brother again from the dead. And she's saying, yeah, I know he'll raise again at the end of the world. And then Jesus says, but I'm the resurrection and the life. And she's like, I know, you're, you're the son of God. And I look at this passage, and I look at us as Christians. I look at us as Seventh-day Adventists, and I look at the promises that God gives us in Scripture, where Romans 6, for example, says that we can be raised to walk up in newness of life, and our response is, I believe that someday God will change my life. I believe that someday I will gain victory over my evil temper. I know that God is God. I know that Jesus is the Savior of the world. I believe that he is coming again. That's what the Bible says. And I even believe that the Bible says that I can be delivered from these problems, and I know that someday it will happen. And Jesus is speaking to us today as he did to Martha 2,000 years ago, and he's saying, I will raise you up to walk in newness of life. Do you believe this? And we're like, yes, Lord, I believe you'll do that someday. Heaven's going to be such a wonderful place. And Jesus is saying, but I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Now, in a spiritual sense, I think all of us can identify with the feeling at times in our life where we feel dead spiritually. There are moments in life that come where we wonder if we will ever gain victory over certain besetting sins. Sometimes there are moments in life where sins that we thought that by God's grace we had gained the victory over, they come back and remind us that they still can show up again at times that we often least expect them to show up. And the devil wants us to believe that because these things happen, that they're just going to keep happening, and we're going to remain dead spiritually, and we'll be dead in trespasses and sins. And yes, there are promises in Scripture that promise deliverance and victory, but the reality is if you look at everybody around us, everybody slips, everybody falls, everybody messes up, and so this is just the law of humanity. And yet Jesus is saying to us today, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? 
The question is, do you really believe? Or are we like Martha, where we hear the promises and our response is, yeah, those promises are so amazing, I'm looking forward to heaven when there will be no more death, sin, or sorrow. And yet Jesus is saying, I'm talking about right now, not when we all get to heaven. Jesus is saying to Martha, I'm talking about, not, about right now, not at the first resurrection. Where is our faith in the promises of God? Let's go to Romans 6 and look at this passage that talks about this spiritual resurrection. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? You know, and he says this in response to what he said in Romans 5, verse 20, which says, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And Paul actually specifically targets people in Romans 3, for example, where people say, let us do evil that good may come. And he says it again here because he's making a point that people misinterpret when he says where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And so people say, hey, I receive God's grace to cover my sins. And so the more I sin, the more grace I receive. So what's the big deal? I'm sinning and I'm receiving grace. So where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. What does it matter? And Paul says, no, that's not what I mean. What I mean is, yes, sin is malignant, sin is evil, but God's grace is greater than the sin of our past. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. There is no sin in your life right now that God's grace cannot take care of. And then he goes on to say, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Shall we sin more and more so we can receive even further grace? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Do you know how many Christians really believe that promise? It's not a lot. Verse 3, know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And people will see that verse and say, oh, that's great. Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, and I can be raised to walk in newness of life, but my newness of life is still going to be a life of sin. That's what much of the Christian world believes. And that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? The newness of the Christian life means that we are dead to sin. But if you don't believe that you can be dead to sin, guess what? You're not going to be dead to sin. And he goes on to say, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. We need a resurrection. 
And we walk around as a Laodicean church, wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, and we think that wretchedness is average Christianity because we look around everybody else and we compare ourselves among ourselves and we say, well, that's the way everybody else is, so I guess that's the Christian experience. And yet scripture says that we should be planted together in the likeness of his death. And when we are, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Jesus is saying, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. You may have been dead, but when you were made alive again, you will be raised to walk in newness of life in the likeness of the resurrection of Christ. And he goes on to say then in verse 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. You know, this clearly connects to Galatians 2.20, which says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, Paul goes on then to talk about what it means for this old man to be crucified further in Romans 7. And I'll just summarize it for the sake of time. But basically, it goes like this. Christ does not commit adultery, but he wants to be married to us. But as long as that old man is still alive in our lives, that's, that's our carnal nature. But as long as the old man is not crucified, Christ will not commit adultery. He will respect our decision to be married to the old man of sin who makes us a slave to sin but when the old man is crucified then Christ can be married to us so that we can have this new life but many look at these plain passages of scripture and say someday the old man of sin will be destroyed in my life someday Someday, my old man will be crucified with him. But right now, I'm going through a challenge that's too hard to put that old man to death. Right now, I'm not quite ready to be planted together in the likeness of his death because that would be a crucifixion that is too painful to go through. But scripture says, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth, or from this point onward, we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if you have the King James, and some of these other versions may have this, the marginal reading for freed from sin is justified. You know, Ellen White says in Selective Messages, Volume 1, page 366, God requires the entire surrender of the heart before justification can take place. Now, that's not a novel idea that she came up with. It's right here in the Bible. Entire surrender of the heart. To be dead to sin is to be freed from sin, is to be justified by faith. And yet there's a gospel in the Christian church that says, I can be justified by faith and covered with the, with the garment of Christ's righteousness while my life is still full of sin. And the Bible does not teach that. 
And so we wonder sometimes why, as a church, we're walking around wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And the reality is, is that many of us are not willing to be crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed. So we see these promises that Christ is the resurrection and the life, and he promises us that he can raise us up to walk in newness of life. And though we were dead, yet shall we live, and that we'll live this new life of faith in the likeness of the resurrection of Christ. And our response is almost with a yawn. Yeah, I believe that will happen someday. And yet there are many of us here today in this congregation who have come to the sanctuary and we're here at church today to worship the Lord and we have serious issues of sin in our hearts right now. And we're saying someday, someday God will deliver me from that sin. Someday God will give me forgiveness towards my brother or my sister or the brother or sister at church Maybe it's in my family, maybe it's a church, maybe it's somewhere else. Someday God will give me forgiveness for the bitterness that I have for something that happened 10, 15, 20 years ago. And it's not going to happen right now because right now I'm going through that 10-year anniversary to the day of what they did to me. So I'm not ready to let that go. But maybe someday I'll let Christ raise me up to have a new life so that I can see that person as a brother and sister in Christ who Christ died for just like me. Someday, I'll stop going to those internet sites and watching things I shouldn't be watching. Someday. But right now, I'm too stressed out or I'm too bored and it's just not going to happen. You know, we can come up with whatever excuses that we want to, and yet the power of God is right there offering to give us deliverance today. You don't have to walk out of this church today in slavery to sin. You can make a choice to tap in to the power of God. Now, here's the thing that people don't truly believe in the church. Let's keep going in Romans 6. Verse 8. Now, if we be dead with Christ, that means we're crucified with him. We believe that we shall also live with him. That means we've been resurrected. Notice verse 9. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him, for in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. This is what Paul is saying. You know, Jesus doesn't have to come back down from heaven to earth to have repeated experiences of the crucifixion. He gained the victory in Gethsemane where he's saying, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And he chose to drink the cup. And he drank the cup. And he went through Gethsemane. And he went through Calvary. And he died on the cross. And he felt that separation from his father as if he would never be in the presence of the father again. Death has no more dominion over Christ. We're like, yeah, absolutely, that makes sense. But Paul goes on to say this, Likewise, 
Reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Now there was a theologian that came into the Adventist church some years ago who said, sin will remain but not reign. Oh yeah, let not sin reign in your mortal body. It will remain but it won't reign. Come on. Ellen White says in Steps to Christ, one sin, persistently cherished, will eventually, it will eventually neutralize all the power of the gospel. One sin. And it was one sin that got Adam and Eve out of the garden. When we start to say, sin will remain but not reign, we've played right into the hands of the devil because that's not what the Bible teaches. That's a man-made construct. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Now notice this, for sin shall not have dominion over you. Death doesn't have dominion over Christ anymore, and if you are resurrected in the likeness of Christ's resurrection, sin will not have dominion over you. Now how many people actually believe that? Death has no more dominion over Christ. Sin shall have no more dominion over us because the same Christ who was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father promises to us to raise us up to walk in newness of life in the likeness of his resurrection. And we make excuses and we say, well, but I'm born with a fallen human nature, and so sin will always be with me. But, you know, when we yield our lives to God, there's not one sin that God can't deliver us from. In fact, when we make the case that there's one or two or a few sins that are going to remain, we are saying that the devil is more powerful than God in that part of my life. That's what we're saying. So I want to take you to Ephesians 2. But before I do, I just want, again, just think about this. Death has no more dominion over Christ. Sin shall have no more dominion over you. You were either servants to sin or servants to righteousness. And I know there's people who say, oh, well, Romans 7, that was Paul's experience of righteousness by faith. No, it's Paul's experience of knowing what it's like to know what's right, but of being in slavery to sin, where the old man is still married to him, where he's married to the old man of sin, but he knows what is right, and so he's a slave to sin rather than a servant to righteousness. So when you're a slave, you do the things you don't want to do, and you don't do the things you want to do because your slave master is dictating how you live your life. And Christ is saying that old man needs to be crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed so you'll stop doing the things you don't want to do because Christ will empower you to live his life but you say, okay, all that the Lord has said I'm going to do and you fall flat on your face because the old man is still running your life. So let's go to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2. Starting in verse 1. 
And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. You know, I think we've all been there where we feel dead in trespasses and sins. We see these promises of scripture, and yet like Martha, we say say at some point God is going to raise me to walk in newness of life, but today I feel dead. He goes on to say, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So in other words, when you are dead in trespasses and sin, you are described as the children of disobedience. Now that's a conflict because God's last day people are described as they who keep the commandments of God, the patience of the saints, and the faith of Jesus. And by the way, if God says he's going to have a people who keep the commandments of God, they truly will live obedient lives. They're not going to be the children of disobedience. Verse 3, among whom also we all had our conversation. Now that word conversation means conduct. It means how you live your life. Among whom... We all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. And it's true that our natural disposition is to be children of wrath and to be children of disobedience, but that's not how we need to, we're not required to stay that way. Notice verse 4, but God. In other words, there's a sharp change in the narrative. But God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins. And we can all admit that we've been dead in sins because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Even when we were dead in sins has quickened us together with Christ. In other words, we've been resurrected with Christ, by grace you are saved. Now notice verse 6, and hath raised us up. In other words, we've been resurrected. Has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now the promise of the Laodicean church is, to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. That's the heavenly places. Even as I also overcame and sat down with my father in his throne. So those who are raised up together and sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus are those who overcome as Christ overcame. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. You realize that none of us deserve to sit in heavenly places. And it's only going to be through the power of God and through the merits of Christ that we are enabled to be overcomers. So we're not going to stand in heaven and say, man, look what we did. We're going to say we were dead and the power of Christ resurrected us. Just like that Buddhist monk in Thailand, he was dead as dead can be. And we are dead as dead can be, spiritually speaking. And it's only through the power of Christ that we can be resurrected to live the life of Christ by faith. And then it goes on to say what we know so well. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we're not going to stand before the throne of God and say, look at the works that we did that demonstrate that we are qualified to be here. Nobody with a sane spiritual mind will ever think that way. No one's going to boast of what they've done because we know 
what we are like as sinners. We know. We know what our attitudes are like, disconnected from Christ. We know what our pride is like, disconnected from Christ. We know what our selfishness is like, disconnected from Christ. And we know that the only way that the righteousness of Christ can dwell within us is through his power. So we have nothing to commend ourselves before God. But what we can acknowledge is that by the grace of God, I may have been dead in trespasses and sins in the past, but by his grace, he has raised me up to sit in heavenly places. So whereas my home used to be the, the dwelling place of a mean, grumpy grouch, now the family can say, by the grace of God, there's peace and love and harmony in this place. That doesn't then make me say, wow, look at me and look what I'm doing. That points us to God. But verse 10 makes it clear, for we are his workmanship. A lot of people stop at verse 9. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So by God's grace, we walk in good works. And Revelation 20 verse 12 says that we are judged by our works. You know, some time ago I preached a sermon on Abraham's faith, and I'm not going to preach that whole sermon again, but I'm going to give you something to think about from Romans 4 as it pertains to Abraham's faith and of the faith that we need to be resurrected spiritually. In Romans chapter 4, Abraham in verse 17 is called the father of many nations. And in the second part of verse 17, it says, Before him whom he believed, even God. So Abraham believed God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Now, I've seen people misinterpret this passage to say, Man, my life is just full of filthy rags, and God looks at my life of sin, and he just calls those things which be not as though they were. And even though I'm still sinning, he says that I'm righteous. That's not what this verse means. What this verse means is Abraham believed God, and you connect this to what Hebrews 11 says, that Abraham believed that God would raise Isaac up from the dead, and there had never been a resurrection before. And so Abraham, his faith says God is the God of the universe. God is the God who, when he speaks, the the stars and the sun are set into motion. He's the creator. So my God, who is my friend, when he speaks, he has creative power, and his word is so powerful that he can resurrect the dead, and he can call into existence things which are not at the present time. And he can just speak it into existence. And Abraham's faith speaks to us because we can say, you know what, my life has been dead in trespasses and sins. And you know, I look at what the Bible says, that God can deliver me, and yet I talk to other people in the church, and they're like, yeah, it says that, but, um, you know, you're, you're, going to, you're going to not totally live up to that. Now, I, I do want to mention this just so it's clear. 1 John 2, 1 says, My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. That's God's plan A. Then it says, And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus is still our advocate when we sin. And we can come to him and we can confess our sin, and he will forgive us our sin, absolutely. But just realize that that's God's plan B for your life. 
God is looking for Christians who will follow plan A. My little children, these things write I unto you, that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate. So don't get discouraged if you fall. Jesus is your advocate, and he will forgive you. But God is looking for Seventh-day Adventists who will stop making excuses for not claiming the clear promises of Scripture. God is looking for Seventh-day Adventists who are going to live by every word that the Bible says instead of saying, yeah, I know it says that, but, I mean, you know, my parents were like this, and I'm like this, and my kids are like this, and the pastor's like this, and the elders like this, and the people at the church board meeting are like this, so this is the way Adventists are in every church I've ever been to. That's the way people are, and that's why Jesus says, you think you're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and if you stay this way, I want to vomit you out of my mouth. God is looking for people who will have faith like Abraham, who will say, I may be dead in trespasses and sins, but the God of the universe is the God who can call things which be not as though they were, and he can recreate within my heart a new life so that when I am in Christ, I am a new creature. I am a new creation. I'm not like that old person anymore. And in verse it says, who against hope believed in hope. You know, our human nature speaks against all the promises that Scripture gives us. And yet, those of faith will against hope believe in hope. And in verse 19, it says, being not weak in faith, he considered his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. So he had his own body that was dead to contend with to have Isaac to conceive with Sarah, but it wasn't just him, it was Sarah T. And we're like, well, you know, if it wasn't for the annoying people at work, I would have a good disposition at, at work. But those are the most annoying, ungodly people I've ever been around, and so that's just the way I'm gonna be at work too. Or, bring it closer to home, no pun intended. <laughs> I'd be a Christian, but man, my spouse, <laughs> you think I'm going to be kind when they talk to me like that? And no sane parent will maintain a Christian disposition if you had to put up with what I had to put up with my kids. Now, I'm not talking about my girls, but you get the point. And yet, Scripture is saying that Abraham considered not his own body now dead, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. And God is saying, I will have people of faith who will say, yeah, my life may have been dead in trespasses and sins. My spouse's life may have been dead in trespasses and sins. But by the power and the grace of God, we will claim the promises in our home that we will live lives of faith that will bring forth fruit to God. We will stagger not at the promises of God through unbelief. And there are too many in the Christian church who rather than saying God is the creator God, he is the God of the universe, we stagger at the promises of God and say, yeah, but. And yet those who stagger not at the promises of God are those who are strong in faith, giving glory to God, which is part of the first angel's message. Fear God and give glory to him. There are, there's so much to be said about that. And verse 21 says, being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able also to perform, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. 
You know, we say, oh, we can just have imputed righteousness if we believe that we're covered, and yet imputed righteousness is given to those who are fully persuaded that God can give you a new heart. Those who are fully persuaded that we can be raised to live a new life. And so then Romans 4 shows us at the end that this is not just for Abraham. Yes, he's the father of faith, but it's for us too. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed. Now, look, we're not going to be having kids at 190. That's not the promise here. But there is a special promise. But, it, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe. Now, this goes back to what my first point in the sermon is. If we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. In other words, the same God who allowed Abraham and Sarah to have a child when they were past childbearing age. In other words, it's a miracle. The same God who gave power for Abraham and Sarah to procreate when it was biologically impossible to do so is the same God that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead when humanly speaking, according to the laws of science, you don't come back out of the grave, biologically speaking. You don't. When you die, you are in the grave and your body turns to dust. And yet, if we believe on God, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, we will be raised in the likeness of his resurrection, so that the same supernatural miracle of what's called the new birth that happened, Isaac's an illustration of that, with Abraham and Sarah coming together to have a child when they are biologically past childbearing age. That's a miracle. It's just as much a miracle when we are resurrected in the likeness of Christ's resurrection. And that promise is given to those of faith. So I go back to my opening verse to close this message, and that verse is this. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? And I ask the Centerville Church the question today. Do you believe this? Let's stop being like Martha's and saying, Yes, Lord, I believe that the Bible is the word of God. Well, yeah, that's a good answer. But it's not the right answer. The right answer is, yes, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Please bring resurrection power into my heart and life right now. Because I'm dead. I'm spiritually dead. There's things that I want to be delivered from, and yet my promises are like ropes of sand, and yet God is saying, I can deliver you. I can give you the power to give you the power of choice to choose to give your affections over to me every day. And then our life will become in harmony with him. That's what we need. That's what we want. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio, 
and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.